0: Blue wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, back for another draft podcast, and very, very excited to welcome back a recurring guest of the show, CBS Sports draft analyst Chris Trapasso, to give his thoughts on all of the Browns draft picks. Chris, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing really good. And I think you might need to change the name of your podcast because the Browns, I think their rebuild is done, especially after this draft class. The roster to me right now is a top three roster in the AFC, along with the Bills and the Chiefs. I think they're right up there. We'll certainly get into all the picks, uh, but also I appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah, man, it, it, there's a there's a lot of good energy around the team, a lot of good buzz <laughs> when this podcast was started a few years ago. That was not the case. Uh, you know, we went through, we survived the Freddie Kitchens era uh, <laughs> and now things are uh, a lot better with Andrew Barry. And it was a an acclaimed draft class for sure, which I think, it, you know, it, as a Browns fan has been uh, few and far between for the most part. So Browns fans are definitely excited. And Chris, I am excited because uh, you probably don't know this, but I went to Northwestern for college. And so the Browns' first draft pick, of course, being <laughs> Greg Newsom, was quite heartwarming for me. But also, I, I think, a, a really interesting draft pick uh, as well. It, it seemed like after the Browns signed on Clowney, that corner became the most obvious need for this team in the immediate. And there were some thoughts that, the Browns weren't going to be able to get one of those top, you know, guys without trading up that there was going to be a run on corners, but for, you know, a couple of teams in the early twenties ended up not selecting a corner that the Titans take Caleb Farley. And then lo and behold, Greg Newsom is available for the Browns at, at 26. Were you surprised that he was available for the Browns? I was
1: a little bit uh, that kind of felt though, where I thought he would ultimately be slotted uh, and, and, I had mocked Greg Newsman to the Browns a bunch. Uh, He kind of felt like a late first round pick. Maybe I was a little bit surprised that the Titans went with Caleb Farley. He was my number one cornerback, but we saw and heard pre-draft that there was a lot of concerns about the back injuries, but we know the Titans, they picked uh, Jeffrey Simmons, the linebacker or the defensive lineman out of Mississippi state when he had a torn ACL. They're not as worried about the injury concerns with their first round picks, So I think the Browns were, yeah, pretty fortunate that Greg Newsom was available. I don't think it was like the greatest steal on draft night, but he is a player that adding to Denzel Ward and getting back Greedy Williams and seeing Grant Delpit for the first time, John Johnson in that secondary, Troy Hill in the slot. It is a very young and exciting secondary in Cleveland.
0: It is. And and I think Newsom's an interesting player. So we had Eric Crocker, uh, another, you know, Blue Wire mm-hmm. podcaster on to talk specifically corners ahead of the draft. Once we, you know, we saw that that was really going to be something that the Browns were looking to address uh, given Gritty Williams iffy situation right now uh, on the injury side of things. And he said he thought Greg Newsom was the most underrated corner in the draft. He he called him the most scheme, versatile corner. He thought he could play both the zone and man. Now I think, the knock on Newsome that that some out there like I saw Chris Sim say Newsome's only a zone uh, corner, which I which I don't believe. I but he obviously played a lot of zone in Northwestern system. But but Crocker said, oh, he's so smooth in, in uh, you know in press man. I love the way he challenges receivers, uh, you know, all of that. So where you know are you more on the side side of Crocker? Do you like his his press man skills? Because I think the Browns are definitely going to ask him to do some of that in addition to some zone responsibilities.
1: Yeah, I thought that too. Uh, going into it, he was a later watch for me because it, it, it took me a while to get Northwestern, all 22 film, but I did get it somewhat later in the process for me. And I, I, I can't uh, shield myself from what I'm seeing on Twitter. And before watching Greg Newsom, I was like, oh, this is going to be strictly a zone corner that just watches the eyes of the quarterback, strikes downhill on the football. But then I watched and I was like, hey, this guy's playing press man. He's playing man coverage that then bailing into zone later in the play. Uh, So I think he showed that he can make plays in press man, in press bail, in all types of different zone coverages, because like Crocker was alluding to, he's super smooth. And in my scouting report for Greg Newsom, I wrote that his hips were the most fluid hips of any cornerback in this draft class. I love how quick his feet are. And he just had a lot of ball production, um, maybe not with interceptions, but a lot of pass breakups at Northwestern and to not be a box score scout with this, I think with corners, that's one area that it's not a bad idea to be a box score scout. If a cornerback has a lot of pass breakups in college, he's doing something right. Whether that be staying in phase with the wide receiver throughout the route, or just being very aware in zone and, uh, Knowing how to track the football and get his hands on the football as it's arriving. So I think with Greg Newsome, yeah, maybe the scheme at Northwestern helped him a little bit, but his athleticism and we saw it at the Northwestern Pro Day is absolutely through the roof to be scheme versatile once he gets into that Brown secondary.
0: And I know you you brought up his smoothness too after he was picked. I was following along your Twitter thread where you were analyzing pick by pick, and I actually read it here on, on the podcast, so I won't rehash it fully for our listeners again. But yeah, that smoothness really stands out. And mm-hmm. the other thing is obviously you know you hear the term zone corner, and it's like oh that's a knock. Well, guess what. The Browns play a lot of cover three zone and Northwestern played a lot of cover three zone. So yeah, he had great instincts. I thought in in zone coverage and and that, as you said, contributed to so many of those pass breakups.
1: And the other point about the negative connotation with zone corner, that label is that I think people, maybe it was Darrell Revis and Deion Sanders well before him, people, think that a press man corner is the toughest thing to do in the NFL. So if you're not a zone man or a press man corner, then you're not as good. I think it's actually pretty difficult to play zone and play zone well at the NFL level, or even in college, even in the big 10, that you need to understand when there are routes that are trying to bait you to come out of your zone, to then have a route come behind you or over the top. I think you have to be very cerebral along with being very athletic when you're a zone corner. And of course, when you are a zone corner, I think your defensive coordinator expects you to get your hands on the football quite often. So it's to me, not a knock on someone if they are more of an off coverage or a zone corner, but I do like to see the production and Gregory Newsom had that at Northwestern.
0: And, and something else uh, I would bring up on, on the positive side, just watching him so much, and I think it's especially important for corners when I watch them, I want to see how, you know, how much do they really stand up and challenge re- receivers? And I feel like Newsom played a very physical brand of football yep. he was in a you know a lot of receivers jerseys a lot and I know that resulted in some penalties but you also look at the numbers the numbers love him his completion rate was like 31 percent just seven eight point eight yards a catch he really doesn't give you know anything easy and and that translates to the run game too I was saying you know the Browns fans haven't loved the the tackling from our corners the last couple of years I was like you're going you're gonna to see some tackling out of Greg Newsom. He's very physical, and, and that really stood out to me as well on film and is something I look for in, in corner prospects very often.
1: Yeah, I think at times, uh, corners, like to me, J.C. Horn, who went inside the top 10 to the Carolina Panthers, leaned on his physicality too much. And if he wasn't able to beat you up at the line of scrimmage and ride you for those first five yards, I didn't think he was great at mirroring wide receivers down the field. But I like corners that are very physical, but don't have to strictly rely on that to win. And that to me is Greg Newsom. Everything that you just said, I think certainly applies to what I saw on film with him. very physical has that nasty demeanor Uh, is not going to be complacent being blocked on an outside screen, whether it's to a receiver or a swing pass to a running back. I think there are some misses on film as the tackler, but if you want your cornerback room to be, uh, altogether more willing to tackle. I think Greg Newsom can be the leader to set an example to play, not just in coverage physically, but against the run when he's being blocked and when he does allow a reception to make the wide receiver feel it by you know a very assertive tackle to the
0: turf. And and to flip over to the the other side of that, that physical play, I think, you know, the two concerns with Newsom are durability, number one, I think, you know, given how many games he missed in college, uh, you know, I think he just played 21 games in total. And and we can leave that aside for the moment. But then also the penalties is part of that. Uh, He had, I want to say, 15 career penalties at Northwestern. And something I, I posited on the last show was that, although I am not sure if pass interference necessarily gets called more often in college. I feel like it's a little bit more inconsistent. Uh, and so I, I yeah. feel like, Hey, Newsom's a smart player. I, you know, he obviously plays a physical brand of football, but I think he'll learn to overcome that when you watch prospects and you see something like that, where they've committed a lot of penalties in college, does that concern you? Or is that something where, you know, you think it can be fixed rather easily at the next level?
1: That's a good question. I think it, it really relates back to my last answer that like watching JC Horn, another first round cornerback, I saw him getting a lot of penalties down the field because he, and those were occurring on plays where he wasn't able to win at the line of scrimmage in press coverage. So to recover, he was just draping himself over wide receivers. I don't really think Gregory Newsom does that. I don't think again, he has to lean on super physical play at the line of scrimmage. And in general, to answer your question, I think I'd rather have my corner have that mean streak than be very tentative. Cause I think it's a lot more of a challenge to coach up a cornerback. Once he gets to the NFL level and say, Hey, you need to be more physical when he's facing top tier NFL talents at a marquee position, the wide receiver spot. And every team has at least one or two good receivers in today's NFL uh, I would much rather say, Hey, you need to dial it back a little bit than having to go in the opposite direction.
0: I, I am. I am that way as well. And as I said, I think it goes back to that mentality that I feel like you need to play the position a little bit, uh, especially at corner. Usually that's not something I'm that focused on, uh, but mm-hmm. it, it, to me at corner, that's something you really have to look for is, are they going to challenge players you know, at the next level, because they, as you said, there are so many good receivers that if you don't do that, they just take advantage of you so much in the NFL. I want to shift to the Browns' second round pick. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. JOK, is he is now being referred to frequently on, on Twitter because, A, it's just easier to type You know, he fell pretty far into the second round. I think a lot of people were mocking him to the Browns at 26 and then the Browns end up trading up and go get him in the second round. It's now come out that he fell perhaps because of some medical concerns, a heart issue, but just Chris, as the player, where did you have him ranked? Because this, I mean, going in the fifties is just seems like so much below where everybody had him from a consensus perspective.
1: Yeah, JOK was my number one graded defender in the entire class. When I watched his film, uh, I was blown away. I have, like, not to go too deep into my grading system to kind of bog down this episode, but I, I grade in uh, each position five categories that I deem are most important to succeeding at that position. And it's obviously weighted from like most important to least important. So then everyone can get a a final raw grade. And then I bake in position value to that. I watched his film. I watched seven or eight of his games. uh, And I put in my grades for each category and in my grading system with the position addition, I call it. And linebacker to me is not crazy valuable. He was my highest graded defender. I think he is the linebacker safety hybrid. That everyone wanted Isaiah Simmons to be last year. Uh, and I don't think in today's NFL, and this shows how quickly things move, that last, like even last year with Isaiah Simmons and because of Derwin James, um, who actually is closer to Jeremiah Ousu Kormoa size than Isaiah Simmons, everyone wanted this like 6'3, six, 6'4, six, 230 pound linebacker safety hybrid. I don't know if I necessarily want my big nickel linebacker to be that big. I mean I, I guess if you're gonna have him cover tight ends, you maybe want him a little bigger, but there's like three good tight ends in the NFL so I don't think that's too big of a concern. I want my player that second and third level of the defense, that versatile Swiss Army knife, to be a little bit smaller to be six foot 61, 215 220 so we can cover the slot. He can range down the field if he's covering a wheel route from a running back and has the speed, to avoid tackles, the elusiveness, to mirror running backs behind the line of scrimmage and make impact plays. Owusu Koromoa had 24 and a half tackles for loss in 25 games at Notre Dame. So he was all over the stat sheet, Uh, the suddenness, the explosion. And to me, coverage is the most important at the linebacker spot today. It's the most important thing that any of these linebackers can do. And he covers like a safety. I mean, everyone saw that intermediate level and down the field, not only staying in phase and running with pass catchers, but then having the awareness to turn and find the football and make a play on it. So Jeremiah owusu Kormoa, I really think, uh, again, if healthy in this Browns defense that I think the weak spot was linebacker. And he was a a very trendy pick for me inside the first round of Cleveland, because I, I saw that as a clear cut need for this defense more so even than corner and certainly up front. I think he can be a transcendent type player that really ushers in this new era of positionless defensive players uh, because he can really just do it all.
0: Yeah. And I think he, he landed in the perfect spot with the Browns because I, Mm -hmm. you like many, you know, people had the Browns taking, uh, you know, a linebacker at certain points in mock drafts and as you know, corners as well. I think what those were kind of the two popular positions. I thought the Browns, I was like, I just, you know, a, an analytics folks front office, they haven't shown any, you know, a willingness to spend on linebackers. They, you know, they signed B.J. Goodson last year, Anthony Walker for a cheap deal this year. They let Joe Schobert go. I was like, are they really going to spend a first round pick at 26 on linebacker? Then, then I watched J.O.K.'s tape. He was all, he was a late wash for me because uh, I, I saw some people mocking him to the Browns. And I was like, well, he's kind of a linebacker. But he's, he's kind of not because, you know, the Browns wouldn't play so much with five and six DBs on the field you know, in Joe Woods' system, and, and he fits in perfectly to that. I mean, you see him running down the field with Clemson receivers, with Alabama receivers, you know, guys that are going at the top of this draft. And then on other plays, he's lined up at defensive end. And then in other plays, he's lined up in the slot. And and so you're, it it is, a, you know, I, I think there is some validity to the concerns about, okay, you know, he's – a jack of all trades. Can he be a master, you know, in, in certain areas, but to me the fluidity in his speed backpedaling was just something I had not seen out of somebody, you know, and I was going to say his size, but I guess his position, he's not that big. I get that. But uh, I think, you know, he's a a really exciting prospect, assuming, you know, health health concerns aside.
1: Yeah. I felt that exact same way watching him. And and I'm someone I am maybe toward the one polar end of this. I do not care that much about size when it comes to linebacker spot. Me being a Bills guy, after the Bills beat the Colts in the playoffs this past year, after the game, Darius Leonard, the star linebacker, all pro, uh, very, very good from his rookie year on, told reporters that he got his weight down to 218 because he just felt like he wasn't fast enough to cover running backs and wide receivers. And he knows how valuable coverage is in today's NFL. And this is someone that even when he entered the league in the two thirties was already considered, you know, a very fast, very fluid, freaky athlete at the linebacker spot and had been that early in his career with the Colts. So there were some things, uh, when like some rumors dropped on Twitter, when JOK was dropping that, Oh, like he's not that fast. He's too small. I don't, I don't care about size. I mean, yes, you, will have some problems against really, really good running teams. But I think with Owusu Kormoa, I I didn't see his size standing in the way of him doing whatever he wanted on the football field. I, I think people said this a lot with Devontae Smith, like, did you ever notice 170 pounds hurting him on the field at Alabama? And the answer to that was no. And for me, Owusu Kormoa being six foot and 215, I didn't ever see it being a huge issue where he was just being completely overwhelmed by by second-level blockers. He's so quick. He can avoid them. He plays with reckless abandon. There's a lot of power to his game too. And back to an earlier point, Derwin James is six foot and 215, 220. So we're talking about guys like one's considered a safety, one's considered a linebacker, but they are doing a lot of the same things on the football field. They just play different positions
0: and you bring up I think an interesting point about okay so like what how does this not work out it, you know is and is that you know the Browns get bullied in the run game and to me I look at their competition I, and I look at the way football is trending and basically with any of the top teams if they want to run the football be my guest like if the Chiefs yeah. want to just hand the ball off twice because they're like oh the Browns are going to be a little undersized in the box like Okay. I'm all right with that. Like to me, having the versatility, uh, you know, of a linebacker that can cover in, in this day and age is so much more important. And you mentioned, it's not like he didn't produce, you know, in the run game tackles for loss, all of that. So it's not like he's a scrub there by any means, you know, so I, I, I was in love with the pick Obviously, you know, the medical concerns are what they are. I am by no means a, a doctor. So, you know, the Browns clearly, you know, cleared him uh, amongst their medical staff and ultimately selected him. But I'm just I was over the mood about this pick in the value of it to getting him so late. I mean, I think that's why, you know, so many people love the Browns draft. If you focus on the first couple picks to end up with two guys that, that were so often being mocked to you at the same pick is uh, is pretty remarkable and unusual, I would say. Yeah, I mean,
1: I gave that selection an A plus uh, doing the CBS Sports live draft grades because I pretty much echoed exactly what you just said to get him at fifty two. Even they did trade up right for him. Is that true? Yeah, they they
0: moved up from fifty nine to fifty two, so so a slight fine. trade up. They they traded a third rounder back into like the fourth round, basically. And, and we'll get to what they got there later.
1: Yeah, I mean, so even trading up, they didn't. It wasn't an exorbitant price to trade up. And at that point, I think he was sticking out on their board, uh, probably more so than any other prospect. So, yeah, I, I think to get those two defensive players to add to a group that's actually had a lot of acquisition uh, over this offseason and has gotten a lot better, it has to be very exciting for their defensive coordinator and really just their fans and the organization as a whole. They're, they're both super athletes and no, not every super athlete becomes a good player but most of the superstars in the nfl were really really athletic coming into the league and that's what the browns got with greg newsome and jok
0: speaking of super athletes the browns third round pick anthony schwartz now this is the one that this is the only pick early in the draft that i had some criticisms of for the browns uh anthony schwartz a wide receiver out of auburn crazy 40 yard dash i think he ran a four two seven And, you know, he's got great numbers in kind of the jet screen sweep game from college. Um, I just definitely mix those terms together, but that's fine. Uh, And, you know, a little bit more raw as a receiver. For me, I was hoping the Browns were going to draft a receiver that could be a long-term replacement for Landry or Beckham Jr. if they were going to take one, you know, high in the draft. Anthony Schwartz doesn't feel that need for me. And so I was, a, it felt like more like a wide receiver four or five type pick, which is why I wasn't as big a fan of it. I thought there were some players with some value still on the board, and you could have gotten somebody like Anthony Schwartz a little later on. But Chris, my co host Jordan disagrees. He's like, hey, this team needs to stretch the field vertically. Uh, you know, Schwartz has the speed to do that. They stretch the field horizontally with him as well. And that's going to open up the run game. That's going to open up more space for Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry to operate in the middle of the field. So, you know, you know, am I wrong here on Anthony Schwartz? I, I to me, these gadget guys, I just, I don't know. He, he, he feels like somebody that's going to take a lot of development to work out.
1: No, I don't think you're wrong. Uh, and when the Browns picked him at 91 overall, uh, Des, Fitz, Des Fitzpatrick from Louisville, who I think w- is a more NFL ready wide receiver, bigger, played on the outside, has good speed too, hit a lot of big plays at, at Louisville. He was still on the board. He goes number 109 overall. Amon Ross St. Brown, very good route runner, won a few picks later. So there weren't a ton of like top tier wide receiver prospects left, um, but they definitely get someone in Anthony Schwartz that is kind of a niche type in that. You want to use him in the jet sweep game. Although I will say, I think Auburn like was forcing him into that role a little bit too much. And the quarterback play, even with Bo Nix there being a big recruit was not uh, like, I don't think they utilized Anthony Schwartz the best way. I think he can be that guy that can take the lid off the defense. And I agree with you. And i had said it on a few Cleveland radio shows that I was on pre-draft that like, Hey, Odell Beckham Jr. is coming off an injury. He's in his thirties now. Jarvis Landry is older as well. It wouldn't be a bad idea to maybe in the second round or third round for the Browns to pick someone that is the eventual replacement that you know has uh, more of a well-rounded skill set than someone like Anthony Schwartz. But at the same time, if the Browns are like, hey, we feel like with Baker Mayfield still relatively cheap and, and he hasn't hit this big extension yet, we want to try to win a Super Bowl this year we do need some more downfield speed. I know Donovan Peoples-Jones has that explosiveness, but he wasn't crazy productive down the field as a rookie flashed a little. I think with Anthony Schwartz, yeah, you want to get him on a jet sweep, maybe once a game, every other game, but I think use him down the field more frequently. And I think when you have an offense that features Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry that are so good, uh, zero yards to 19 yards down the field, uh, and everything is condensed, you have the ability to have that downfield threat. So I think Anthony Schwartz, not crazy elusive, just very fast. I would just like to see him used on the vertical route tree more than trying to get him horizontal like uh, Auburn did during his career there with the Tigers.
0: Well, and I think that, that might be the plan because, you know, the, a lot of Browns fans have been saying, hey, in that Chiefs game, there's just no way to stretch the field, no way to open mm-hmm. up space and really pressure them. My concern is just, you know, as you said, I didn't see a lot of that on film in college out of Anthony Sports. So hopefully, you know, that, that you know, that speed translates ultimately to be able, you know, to do that at the NFL level. But that was just my, as I said, my one concern with the pick uh, is just, was it the right time? Was it the right value for a player like that? However, something I have been banging the table for that there is always value in doing this is taking an offensive lineman in the draft. It, you know, getting more offensive line depth, it's a position where one injury can really do you in and although the Browns had, you know, arguably the best offensive line in football last year, you know, there's always upgrades to be had. They lost their swing tackle Kendall Lamb in free agency. James Hudson was the 4th round pick and I didn't see any of James Hudson, you know, film pre-draft, didn't watch him at all. Uh, You know, frankly, my, you know, learning from last year, trying to evaluate offensive line prospects, that is not my strength, I would say. Chris, what were your thoughts on James Hudson? Because I saw some draft analysts that had him pretty high that were saying, hey, his athleticism shows up really well on the field. But then I, you know, are you concerned about his fundamentals, his lack of experience? Because I feel like that's why, you know, he fell so far
1: yeah, that's why he was probably not picked until 110 overall. Uh, and to your earlier point, I think it, when you do have a great offensive line, it, it's an ultimate luxury for a team outside of having a franchise quarterback. But you don't want to be complacent and say, hey, our line's great. we're We're set for the next five years with injuries. Uh, and just keeping that unit fresh with young talent, I think is very smart to do. So I gave that pick an A minus. I gave Anthony Schwartz a B. So I I felt similarly to you about those two picks back-to-back for the Browns. Hudson's fundamentals in pass protection are not there yet. He is His game is predicated on how assertive he is in the run game and in pass protection. What he likes to do, and maybe this was a coaching point from Cincinnati, he's a quick setter. He's not someone that's going to kick slide uh, or vertical set, they call it, very often. He wants to get into the defensive end as quickly as possible. And I think that's partially because he understands that his footwork and his hands are not amazing yet, but he does have the athleticism, the tenacity, the torque in his lower half and his upper half to move people in the run game. And even on a pass play, he's relatively new to the position. Uh, and although he didn't test very well at the Cincinnati pro day, I think like you mentioned, he is pretty athletic on the field. I, I actually had him graded right in this range and and, and there was Uh, some buzz after the senior bowl, because I think a lot of the coaches and the scouts down there in Mobile, Alabama saw how long he was at six, five and three ten, and how athletic he was. There was like some second round buzz. I thought that was a little bit too early uh, for an offensive lineman that definitely needs some technical work, but that's what's a great uh, spot for him or or why it was a good pick for the Browns. He doesn't need to play right away. And and he might be someone that's not going to see the field, very much besides maybe in jumbo packages until 2022, given how strong the Browns offensive line is and just being around that offensive line group, learning from Jack Conklin and from Jedrick Wills, who are great athletes that have reined in some of their uh, assertiveness and to not be over-aggressive, I think will really bode well for his development in Cleveland.
0: Yeah, I I think you know that you take a chance on on that athleticism and the ability. You know, Bill Callahan, the Browns' offensive line coach, is arguably you know their their second most important coach on the team, and also has a great Mm -hmm. history of developing offensive linemen. And so, to me, it makes total sense to take a flyer on somebody who has the athletic traits who needs the the development because you have the you know the coaches in place to do that. And, And so that's why the pick was so exciting me and Chris I also you know I want to pick your brain a little bit on these last couple prospects here sure. so we'll go you know just kind of some key questions on them Tommy Togiai a lot of the Browns fans that listen to this podcast are of course Ohio State fans and they've seen a, a lot of Togiai he's undersized in the short in the short arms I feel like are the concern for Togiai when it comes to the arms how do you overcome that as a defensive lineman? And do you think it's possible for Togi? I, you know, to do that at the NFL level, because I, you know, that's something you see brought up a lot is the arm length of these D tackles. And I just, I wonder why it seems like that's such an important. Thing.
1: Yeah, it's, I don't think it's easy to overcome that in the trenches because, and that's why there is seemingly an obsession with arm length for offensive and defensive linemen, just because, I mean, the, uh physics of it that if you're grappling with someone in the trenches whoever gets first contact and can get inside your pads initially is going to have the upper hand that doesn't mean that the play is over that if Tommy Togiai isn't able to get into the pads of the guard or the center that he's facing that he's going to be completely washed out of the play But when you have shorter arms, I think you are at a little bit of a disadvantage. What's interesting about Togi, being a little bit undersized, being a little bit more uh, or built lower to the ground, he has natural center of gravity that helps him generate a lot of power. Like you don't need to be 330 pounds to be a powerful interior rusher. And I think actually a lot of the most powerful players on film in the NFL at defensive tackle are the guys who are shorter. That, that are 6'1", 6'2", 300 pounds like Tommy Togiai is. He has a great bull rush. He just needs to improve his pass rushing moves. I think in the Big Ten, he was able to use that natural low center of gravity to push back centers and guards. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that with as much regularity once he gets to the NFL level. But if you have shorter arms, you don't have pass rushing moves, and you're just leaning on one way to get to the quarterback, NFL blockers are... a clear step or two ahead and further down the road in terms of their uh, film watching uh, preparation and their technique from where they are in college so I think in the fourth round 132 overall you're not going to get a perfect prospect um, at any position so but they get someone that definitely has a trump card that he can lean on he's very powerful and converts quickness off the snap to power so he'll face some lower level guards and centers in the NFL that he can drive back and reset the line of scrimmage just with those shorter arms. uh, He'll have to learn more than just that in terms of using his hands to get to the quarterback.
0: And you mentioned he has that, that one trait that he can really lean on in that Mm -hmm. power, you know, that bull rush, it'll be really interesting to see that, you know, compared to some of the other Browns guys that he's going up against, because defensive tackle is going to be a battle. Uh, on this roster, you know, they brought in Malik Jackson in, in the offseason. They had, you know, Andrew Billings coming back uh, from COVID opt out. They signed Marvin Wilson as an undistri- uh, un- unrestricted uh, free agent after the draft and an undrafted free agent. And he's, you know, got some some pretty high upside in terms of his talent. So I think that's going to be one of the most interesting battles is, is Togiai is coming in there with with some clear strengths, I think. But he's going to have to compete. Uh, With a pretty deep room in order to you know to stand out on this roster.
1: Totally agree, and I think it it makes sense. Just quickly on this, Uh, when you have Miles Garrett and you have Jadavian Clowney now, it's probably not a bad idea to have a lot of competition at defensive tackle and, and to allow the players within that room to get the best out of each other because those defensive tackles are going to see a lot of one on ones with a lot of left and right guards helping out left and right tackles against Jadavian clowney and miles garrett in Cleveland.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right that it makes sense. It especially, you know, they let Larry Oak and Joby go. I, I don't think spending a lot necessarily at the position is the move going forward, which might have played into the Richardson decision as well. So mm-hmm. you know and, and Toby, I has that one key trait. A pick I was a little bit more confused by by, and it you know it's a not a big one, is Tony Fields the linebacker that the Browns took in the fifth round would, you know, when you get this deep in the draft, I'm looking for something, you know, to get excited about. And I, you know, basically everything I've read and now the limited clips that I've watched from Tony fields. I, I don't know if really anything stands out. I know he had a lot of tackle production at West Virginia and Arizona, and there was some talk about, Oh, he could compete and you know, make the you know, a starting spot on this team, given the fact that they aren't committing a lot of resources to linebacker. But Chris, is there something I should get excited about with him? Cause I, I just haven't seen it yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, I gave this a B minus. So this was one of my least favorite Browns picks, but you're right. It is round five, uh, 153 overall to get excited about Tony fields. I think you have to just think about that. He is the new age type at the linebacker spot. He's another technically quote unquote, smaller linebacker, just over six foot, 222 pounds. Um, but I think he's someone unlike Jeremiah owusu that you saw his athleticism or, or his, his lack of size, despite the athleticism, hurt him a little bit. That he has great range, being smaller, he's fast, um, very experienced at the uh, collegiate level, but in terms of avoiding blocks and stacking and shedding blockers. I didn't see him do that very often. And he doesn't really give you a lot in coverage. Like if you're six foot and two twenty two, but you're just fast sideline to sideline. I think there might be a, a spot at the bottom of the roster for you because speed is the most vital, just physical attribute to have at the linebacker spot today. But if you can't cover and you weren't making tons of plays down the field or in man coverage or in zone down the seam you're going to be limited. And that's kind of what I felt watching Tony Fields. I think it's easy during the pre-draft process for a lot of people to get really excited about him because he can get to that outside run in a hurry. Uh, And and while that can create a a highlight reel on Twitter or on YouTube, I think while that's fun, ultimately that is a player who's going to ask to be split out to play a slot receiver or a running back on a pass play. And I just don't think while he might have the athleticism to ultimately be good there, I, I don't think he's very well versed in being that coverage linebacker like Jeremiah Ousu is.
0: Yeah. And as we talked about with J.O.K., I just feel like that that versatility is just needed at the linebacker position at this point. We'll see. We'll see if he can, you know, if he makes the roster. Certainly, you know, the Browns have spent kind of a lot of, of resources in the middle rounds on, on linebackers recently. So, I, you know, he'll be competing with, with last year's 50, you know, fifth rounder and Jacob Phillips and some other guys like that. You know, to make this team, but I, I think he he could be in, in trouble potentially. Richard would mm-hmm. count the third Georgia safety. You know, the big thing with him is he's this kind of downhill safety thumper. Yeah, Chris, those type of prospects, you know, uh, for me don't get me that excited. I think the thought here is, hey, he could be a Ronnie Harrison replacement. Ronnie Harrison has one year left on his deal, and is that in the box safety for the Browns? The Browns love to play three safeties in, in Joe Wood system, so some more depth there is okay. But to me, I just don't see a a lot of place for that downhill thumper anymore who's not fluid in in coverage. And so this pick also didn't really excite me that much. Do you feel like there's still a place for that really physical safety inside the box who's perhaps a little bit more limited?
1: I do because I actually liked his film. Uh, And it's totally fine that we disagree. I I saw someone that – and we'll see where the Browns ultimately play him – That's actually best when he was given reps at free safety and was not in the box because I think Mm -hmm. at 5'10", 5'11", and like 186, 190, he's not uh, or uh, like someone that has the size and the ability to beat blockers, whether to be avoid them or uh, shed them completely to be that box safety. I think when he can range from the deep middle and know he's not going to cover in the slot He's not amazing in zone, but when you just say, Hey, watch the eyes of the quarterback. And if there's a throw either down the seam or to the sideline, get to the football. He ran four, seven, nine at the Georgia pro day. And that is probably why he was still available this late, um, but was very productive at Georgia, uh, 10 pass breakups and eight interceptions in his last three years with the Bulldogs. So I think if you want him to just occasionally run that alley, to an outside run from the free safety spot and then let him use his instincts. Cause I think he plays faster than four, seven, nine. That's actually obviously really slow for a NFL safety. I think that's where Richard LaCounty can be uh, an impactful player. Maybe it's very specialized because you don't really want him in the box. Like you're insinuating, but if they allow him to be that free safety, that true traditional classic free safety, I think that's where they can tap into his, Instincts and his range, uh, uh, again, I think, is better than what he showed at the Georgia Pro Day.
0: And I think that's what the Browns will be counting on as well. I know I, I remember watching him play a lot of deep safety in some of their high-profile matchups, uh you know, against mm-hmm. Alabama, against Florida. I don't, yeah. I, I, I haven't watched, you know, a, any of meaningful amount of uh, tape on him, so I really don't have any, you know hard, you know, definitive commentary as far as which spot I like him in more. And that's why we have you on the show. Uh, so that, I mean, that appeals to me a lot more he can be that physical safety, but in the coverage side of things, I think that's where you get the upside uh, yeah. of, of a player like that. And especially because if he's going to be a third or fourth safety, you imagine he's going to be coming on the field, uh, you know, a lot in zone situations where he's got the freedom a little bit, to, you know, his eyes on the quarterback and to see those things develop. So that that could be a, a good fit for the Browns, actually. You know, if all, all things do work out. So I'm glad you uh, you corrected me there a little bit. I like that. Uh, and then the last pick, I think a lot of people have gotten really excited about is Demetrius Felton out of uh, UCLA. He's almost uh, running back, slot receiver hybrid. Yes. Oh, maybe is Duke Johnson too far to go in a comparison with him? Just because you know Duke Johnson played lined up so much at receiver for the Browns.
1: No, I don't think that's really far off at all. That's actually one of the players that I kind of compared Demetric Felton to during the pre-draft process. I mean, three years playing wide receiver at UCLA was not crazy productive. I mean, in 2019, uh, he had uh, 55 catches for almost 600 yards, but he was starting to get the football a little bit more in the backfield with 86 uh, rushing attempts. And then they completely transitioned him to running back In 2020, averaged 5.1 yards per carry, caught 22 passes. He has legitimate slot receiver route running capabilities. I mean, playing as a slot receiver for his first three years, that should come as no surprise. And we've heard so much about during this pre-draft process about Najee Harris and Travis Etienne and that to get the most value out of the running back spot, you need to be a good receiver. A lot of that, I think, especially with Etienne saying that he's such a good receiver, people think, oh, He has good hands. He can catch a pass on a screen or just a swing route to the outside. Dimitri Felton can literally run routes and can lose cornerbacks down the field. I thought at the senior bowl, watching those practices, he did a great job showing hip fakes and head fakes and uh, doing everything that he needed to do to create separation. So, and it's funny that they pick him here in the sixth round. After I believe the first round of the draft, I had to do a second and third round mock draft, like super late at night on Thursday night. And I, even in the third round, I was like, Hey, maybe the Browns could use someone like Demetric Felton or Kenny Gainwell, the two smaller running backs uh, that really brought route running capabilities to the field. They pick him much later. I had him actually graded around this range on day three, because I think he's, he's very small. He's not going to win very often as a running back between the tackles, but you know, that you can get quality production and value out of a pass catching running back in Kareem hunt to have someone that if Kareem hunt goes down, uh, that can still be a weapon in the receiving game. And even slightly a little different than Kareem hunt that can run routes from the slot or even split out on the perimeter. I think that's just a great roll of the dice at two eleven overall. It's kind of similar to the James Hudson selection. You have a great offensive line, add to that offensive line. You have a great, to me, the best running back tandem in the NFL. Add another player that can give another element to this offense, and I think Dimitri Felton at two eleven overall can do that.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, comparing him versus Anthony Schwartz is just these these receipt. Uh, you know, these players that almost are like gadgety a little bit in terms of their their mm-hmm. strengths. The reason I like him here is just he, he's such a value kind of this late. You've obviously got the you know Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in place as the guys that are gonna be you know your consistent backfield production and then i watch his tape and a couple things stand out to me number one i love that he plays special teams because that's probably how he's going to make this roster at first and then secondly the ability and i think it comes from special teams when i was just watching you know highlights of his it seems like he makes something out of nothing a lot like he's he's like kind of in like amongst the trees and all of a sudden he's just like five yards further up the field than you thought Mm -hmm. and that's something that always stands out to me is yeah, he's small. As you said, he's really not a traditional running back in terms of somebody that, that can run between the tackles. But he seems like he navigates the field space really well. And to me, that those are just those little indicators of hey, this guy might he might have some explosive capabilities, you know, with that with those instincts in the NFL. Because I feel like that the open field stuff gets reduced a little bit sometimes, but you can still get those extra five yards, those extra ten yards are really important.
1: Yeah, and I think with the Browns last two picks, Richard LeCounty and Demetric Felton, there's a theme there that neither of them tested very well and really up to the expectations that most people had for them, but they both truly play faster and more athletically on the field than they do clearly in shorts. Like I did not see Demetric Felton being a 459 guy with a 31 and a half inch vertical, a broad jump in the 23rd percentile among running backs, a bad three cone, a really bad short shuttle. He looks like someone that's pretty elusive, very, very light on his feet. I think for being five, nine and 190 pounds, he has pretty good contact balance and he can spin out from some weaker arm tackle attempts. So I agree with you. And and I think his awareness of space and vision comes from that experience at wide receiver, where it's very important to understand spacing between you and your teammates running routes. And the fact that he did return some kicks during his career at UCLA. So he truly, I, I know it's kind of a buzzword that has never really materialized for many players. He's truly an offensive weapon. You can hand him the football a few times. You can get him a jet sweep. You can throw him a screen. You can have him run a drag route. It just adds another layer that this Browns offense doesn't really have that Jarvis Landry is your slot possession guy. Odell Beckham is your number one wide receiver. Nick Chubb is great between the tackles. Kareem Hunt's kind of your screen and outside perimeter running back. With Demetric Felton, you can just plug him in and get him four or five touches a game. And even if he, not every game is producing at a high level, but every once in a while hits a 20 or a 30 yard gain, regardless of how you get him the football, then you've made a really nice selection again at 211 overall.
0: Yeah, I, you know, once you're over pick 200, I mean, once you're probably over even earlier than that 150, you know, you're really taking flyers on guys and to me yep. he was a player that once I watched some of the highlights I was like, "Oh, this guy's definitely worth taking that flyer on." He could he, he you know, he has some really, you know, fun highlights that are that could be really interesting if they translate mm-hmm. to the next level. So I I was definitely in uh, on this pick. And Chris, you mentioned at the top uh, uh, of the show that you think the Browns roster is, is one of the best now in the NFL. There, you know, the grades on the Browns draft were all very high. Did you ultimately, you know, where did the Browns fall in the pecking order for you in terms of best drafts uh, as far as the NFL landscape?
1: Yeah, I think they're in the A minus range, uh, and I really like what the, the Chicago Bears did. I like what the loss and or the Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. The Los Angeles Chargers. I almost said Las Vegas Chargers and completely put two teams together. Um, the Los Angeles Chargers, I-, I really like what that team did. So I think they're up there that they-, they had an elite draft, and you obviously have to weigh the early picks more than the later picks to get Gregory Newsom and Jeremiah Ousu Cormo. I mean, we went over it at length. I thought those were two home run selections, and I think adding pieces in terms of depth at the right spots to not pick a running back in the third or the fourth round, but go offensive lineman, add the speed receiver in Anthony Schwartz fourth round for a kind of one trick pony at the defensive tackle spot. I feel like that's good value. And then to get a safety that has been productive in the sec, eight interceptions, 10 pass breakups for Richard LeCounty. And then again, Demetric Felton, That's a good spot. If you have two good running backs, pick another one in the sixth round. So I thought they, in terms of positional value, they did a good job and filling some needs initially that were pressing. And then along the depth uh, front later in the draft, I think the Browns were up there. One of the top three or four teams in terms of their 2021 draft class.
0: And you touched on exactly why I like this draft as well. And that's, look, I'm not you. I don't watch tons of film ahead of the draft. I, you know, I watched, you know, probably two or two dozen guys or so that I thought the Browns might take in the first two rounds ahead of this, but it's the philosophy, right? Because yeah. ultimately we don't, I, I don't have that strong of opinions of these guys later in, in the rounds. And even if I do, frankly, I'm probably not that accurate at it anyway. So, uh, you know, it's really about to me, what did they do from a process standpoint? And did it make sense? not trading up to me, letting one of those corners fall to you at 26. Great process move. Finding value with JOK, great process move. And then as you mentioned, every step kind of in the later rounds, when you're taking more of a chance to me, for the most part, they all made sense. And that's why my only gripe with the Anthony Schwartz pick is it was the, the the thought process really, because it, that's where I, I had some questions, uh, I guess, about it. But for the most part, you look up and down this draft and you're just like, they did everything that smart teams seem to do. And that's the that's the change in this Browns front office that I think is so refreshing to fans is that, hey, we don't do crazy things. You know, we're not trading up and taking Brandon Whedon. We're not the ones taking Johnny Manziel. It's like, we let the board fall where it falls. We Pick up the guys at good positions that had good value that could add something to the team in later rounds, and that's just that's it seems like it's the new wave rounds.
1: Yeah, and it's really back to back drafts for Andrew Berry to to pick Jedrick Wills last year. Uh, you pick a premium position at a premium spot in the draft. Uh, we obviously haven't seen Grant Delpit yet, but I think the safety position is growing in its importance in today's NFL. And you basically get another safety with Jeremiah Ousu koromoa Uh, I think even what they did last year, uh, Harrison Bryant was my number one tight end in last year's draft class. He flashed a little bit too as a rookie being a Mm -hmm. fourth round pick. Uh, So I think, yes, the process in place, whatever the Browns are doing in terms of their scouting grading system and uh, plugging in prospects into their board and then having patience. Uh, I think is really important. It's not just about getting good players. Like a quick example, the Jacksonville Jaguars got a good player in Travis Etienne. But if you're rebuilding, you don't pick a running back at number 25 overall, especially when you have a thousand yard undrafted free agent running back already on your roster. So the Browns, like maybe that would have been something that the Browns would have done uh, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago, but I think Andrew Berry's process and and the entire scouting staff there in Cleveland, uh, have a, a very sound process this time around.
0: Yeah, you know, the the first-round running backs, I I don't know how often front offices need to see that that doesn't work out before they stop doing it. But the fact that two running backs went before the Browns at 26, I was doing cartwheels in the living room. I was like, Greg (laughs) Newsom's here for us. I I could not believe it. I really could not. I was like, we have all the data. We have everything. Everybody says the same thing. Don't take a first-round running back. Don't take a first-round running back. And then two teams ahead of the Browns did. I was like, Oh, I, uh, I will, I will happily not be one of those teams. So Chris, uh, on that note, uh, I think we can wrap it up here. Thank you so much for coming on and breaking all, all of the, the Browns drop prospects down. You know, you provided a lot of insight uh, that frankly, you know, we just don't uh, get to get into. And so having an expert like you on was, uh, was great for me and hopefully great for the fans as well.
1: Thanks a lot for having me, Henry.
0: All right. Browns fans that's going to do it for this episode of the rebuild Jordan and I will be back on this feed for an episode next Monday as well continuing you know some post-draft coverage and then looking ahead to the schedule and some other fun things as well coming this off season. until then just two words for you go Browns